You're listening to the ERLC podcast. So here's here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that line again, and you're gonna chime in with your microphone on, uh, Lindsay. That uh, the two can feel uh, the same. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna stop right there because I think we overexplained the joke. Oh, Brent, I think you're overthinking it. Yeah. But let's yeah. go. There we go. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Let's go. Gosh. Below the belt, Brent. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where each week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me on the podcast, as always, are my co-host, Lindsay Nicolay. Hello, everyone. Last week I had a stiff back. This week I have a stiff neck. That must be what it looks like being in your late 30s. Late 30s in pregnancy woes. Yes. (laughs) Or maybe you're just a stiff man and you've also heard him already chime in our our other co-host Brent <laughs> his <Leatherwood>. dad jokes <laughs> howdy y'all i'm proud of my dad jokes i think there is a certain je ne sais quoi that comes from them i love it <laughs> all right um well we're excited to do the podcast today it's been a a good week i'm kind of jealous of both of my co-hosts because brent spent his day yesterday fishing with his son which is you know a great way to spend time as a dad and Lindsay has been at the beach although i'm sure you'll hear about the fact that she enjoyed the water not very much so <laughs> anyway we're looking forward to getting to the podcast today later in the show we're actually going to have a special guest join us scott foshi who is actually one of our trustees we had our erlc annual trustee meeting this week and so we're going to talk to him a little bit about the erlc and about his work in the state of illinois but so that we can get into it Lindsay, tell us what the erlc has been talking about this week Okay, so I'm going to try to coherently talk about what we've been talking about this week because I was off the grid a little bit, like you said, enjoying about four to five hours at the beach and then having to come home because of a tropical storm. Thank you, Sally. Hurricane Sally, though, for Pensacola, which was, I've seen, there's been a ton of flooding. So let's get into it. This week, first off, uh, I want to highlight an article by Travis Wusso, and he actually did a Q&A with the IMB, the International Mission Board's new prevention and response administrator. So this is someone that um, works in the area of abuse prevention and care in the IMB. This is a newly created role and an incredibly important role, especially as as abuse has been in- uncovered, uh, not just in um, popular culture throughout the United States and the world, but also sadly and tragically within the church. And so um, if you've been following the ERLC, we've been working on the Caring Well initiative to make sure that our churches are caring well for survivors and then also making their churches safe places for people so that we can do all we um, can in our human power to protect people from becoming victims of abuse. So Travis sits down and talks with the new um, prevention and response administrator at the IMB and just talks to her about her past roles, what she felt like uh, the Lord used to prepare her for where she is, uh, what led her to take this position, and the importance of this position within the IMB um, for Southern Baptists and for the church as a whole. So I would encourage you to read this article. It's very encouraging the steps that the IMB and Southern Baptists are taking in this area. And we do pray for the day when um, when our churches do not encounter instances of abuse because they are safe places. Yeah, we're obviously incredibly grateful for this new role. Spotlighting this issue in the life of the Southern Baptist Convention is incredibly important. And we're excited about any step that 
any entity in our convention or any church can take to help combat abuse and to care for victims and to make our churches safe places. Absolutely. So next up, we have an article by Jared Kennedy. So some of you may know that we have channel editors on our um, website that help us acquire different articles that uh, fit different subjects. So for a long time, Brittany Salmon did an excellent job as our family and parenting channel editor. Well, her family has expanded and in the midst of the of COVID, she's got a lot going on. So she's stepped down for now, although she'll continue writing for us. And Jared Kennedy has stepped in. He's been a children's minister at a church. He runs a discipleship ministry now. So he's an author. So we're really excited to have him join us. And he has an article that's really important. And it's titled, How We Can Confidently Call Kids to Respond to the Gospel. So this article is born out of the concern that he sees with parents that um, that they not persuade their little children to trust in Christ before uh, those children actually understand the gospel. And a lot of times, of course, rightfully so, parents don't want to give children false assurance. But Jared says, sometimes we're too cautious with our children. Uh, Jesus says, let the little children come to me. And children can respond to the gospel. My my um, former boss at a women's ministry where I worked, she came to Christ at four years old, and that's young, but she distinctly remembers, and she has walked with the Lord since then. And so what our responsibility is, Jared says, is to share the gospel, to invite children to respond, to not pressure them, but to invite them and to leave the rest of the work in the Holy Spirit's hands because it's His job to save anyway. But he encourages us not to keep the little children from coming to Jesus because we never know uh, how the Lord's at work or when He's going to save them. Just a really encouraging article, really, though, not just for children, but for anyone. You never know how the Lord's working in somebody's life. I just think what would it have been like if somebody didn't share the gospel with me because they didn't think I was ready for it or whatever it might be? So Brent and Josh, y'all are parents of little children. How does this article resonate with you? Nope, that's the word I was going to say. It totally resonates with me uh, just because my my kids are starting to get a little bit older and um, they are responding uh, when we talk about the gospel and, and scripture. And I'm just praying that I know when is the exact time where it feels like they're more, they're, they're moving from just asking questions like, you know, from a, a place of curiosity to truly responding to, to the Lord's call on their heart. And, uh, and resources like this, I think are incredibly helpful uh, for parents who are in my situation or, or folks who are about to be. I couldn't agree more, Brent. It is an incredibly important stewardship for parents to be able to plant these seeds and water them and see them grow, these seeds of faith, as we are trying to impart the gospel to our children. And so anything that can help us think uh, more clearly about that and to take more positive steps toward that is is something that we need. It's why uh, I'm incredibly excited that Jared is joining us as a channel editor, and I look forward to more great content like this. You know, and some might say, why are you putting out articles about how to call kids to the gospel, you know, when there's, or there are religious liberty issues or whatever else going on. But 
we know that the most important decision for somebody is what they do with Christ. And these little kids are going to grow up to be our future ethicists and our future our future leaders in our Christian communities and our churches and their communities as neighbors. And so the future of our children is very, very important when it comes to the ERLC and the work that we will continue to do on behalf of believers. Well, That's and exactly the reality right. is we can, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, so, uh, while we are dealing with complex religious liberty issues or calling attention to, uh, helpful developments on the international front in terms of, you know, for this week, like peace in the Middle East, uh, we can also, uh, equip pastors, church leaders, and parents with helpful resources to guide them in their everyday conversations as well. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that Dr. Moore says all the time is that all of us are the evangelism department. And for Christians, that's not just something we leave to one group of people or a certain set of professionals. We're, we're all constantly engaged in the work of trying to take the gospel into the world. Very, very true. Although I will have to contend with you on one point, Brent, I've seen you try to walk and chew gum and you run into tables and things like that. And so I, I don't know that you are capable of doing that. At the same time, some of us can walk at you come at the same time. I hope you're. Uh, I hope you get over the stiffness in your neck sooner <laughs> rather than later. <laughs> okay, moving on, everybody. I'll be yeah, praying I'm sure for you. you. Will. I'm sure you will. So next up, we have an article by Daniel Renty, who is a college minister, and he has an article titled "Why We Should View Our Communities as Mission Fields: The Opportunity to Serve Close to Home." And in this article, uh, he talks about something that he's experienced as an African American man who has lived in a variety of different communities. He talks about the mission field that's close to home, and in particular, in this article, he talks about how we can serve in low-income neighborhoods. And this isn't some kind of a step in there and be a white savior or a savior of any kind, but this is just a call to recognize the needs that exist around us and the fact that these needs often exist you know, 10 to 30 miles from home. You don't have to drive across the country. You don't have to get on a plane and go somewhere else. But those needs are right around the corner. And oftentimes, we have things that we can contribute to help meet those needs, and most importantly, to share the gospel. So he calls us, he says, you know, it may require extra sacrifices. It may cause us to go out of our way to add a bus route. It may inspire us to create a new church plant. It may be something that never benefits our churches financially, or it may simply look like committed discipleship. But it is important to see these efforts as investments into communities that are in desperate need of the life-altering presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And of course, that's every community that's in need of that, but he's just pointing out one community in particular from his personal experience. You know, it can be really uh, appealing to think globally, and we want people to think globally. So, like, like, hear me reaffirm that. But at the same time, we don't want people to think so much about global needs that they forget about the needs in their own backyards. I mean, we we see that in so many other aspects of life, like uh, like political life. Uh, everything has become nationalized now, uh, and and we're forgetting just like ways to be engaged locally. And oftentimes we do that to our own detriment because what matters locally actually affects us even more so than what goes on nationally or globally. And so uh, the reason I like this piece was because it it provides that reminder to be working, serving, and witnessing locally. 
because you can truly uh, have the biggest influence right there with your neighbors who are physically located near you. Yeah, and it's so convicting to me. Our small group um, that we're able to do safely and wisely this semester is focusing on being a good neighbor and a good witness in your neighborhood. And our the leaders have really lived it out. And so it's it's going to be challenging in a good way for my husband and I because um, – Locally, it's just so easy for me to get too comfortable and too focused on my own convenience, you know, and want to take a nap or want to do this or want to stay home and watch a show instead of reaching out to my neighbors. So I'm looking forward to that. And as you said, Brent, it's just so important. That reminds me of uh, another jingle. Like a good neighbor, Lindsay is there. there. I don't, well, I, I look forward to the day when you can add in Lindsay as there instead of State Farm. <laughs> I hope I will be there. <laughs> would you retain, uh, would you retain Jake from State Farm if you uh, took over the company? I can't remember who Jake is. Oh, man. Jake, I remember Flo. Jake, Jake from State Farm. Red shirt and the khaki pants. And actually, the updated uh, Jake, he's got some. It's got some muscle on Some guns. Yeah. (laughs) It's hilarious. So, I mean, okay, we are clearly moving right along in this podcast. Okay, Okay. and so finally, just as an extra, I wanted to mention this. It's going to be the lead in the weekly, and Brent's going to talk a little bit more about it later. But we had an important explainer about a development over in the Middle East, and it's about Israel signing a pact with Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates. And it's a diplomatic pact known as the Abraham Accords Peace Agreement. So, Brent, why don't you tell us a little bit more about peace in the Middle East? Because I do not feel qualified. Okay, well, why don't we have the obligatory transition from Josh? Oh, to get started on that. Josh, we set you up. Lobbed up that softball. Well, normally it comes with a... That's your look at this week at ERLC.com. <laughs> yeah, well, that's your look at this week at ERLC.com. But we have one more thing we want to look at, but we want to transition to the culture content awkwardly. So can we do that? Yeah, I'm not sure what shape this is going to make it into the actual podcast. But Brent, tell us what's going on in the world of culture this week, especially this historic peace deal that was signed uh, related to the Middle East. Well, I'm thankful, Lindsay, that you highlighted this uh, because it, it is an important development. So uh, as you mentioned, this helpful explainer is up at ERLC.com, and it's going to be shared uh, with our email lists for folks who get our Friday uh, review. And you know, the thing that I wanted to concentrate on is this really is a significant uh, development. In, in fact, I mean, just kind of reviewing developments in, you know, recent past, I I think it's probably the most significant developments since maybe the Arab Spring in 2011, uh, or even the U.S. decision to invade Iraq in in 2003, just in terms of the effect it will have on the Middle East. Uh, So World Magazine senior editor Mindy Bells, who is a great follow on Twitter, and I'm, I'm truly meaning that in like if you want to stay up to date and informed about the latest events internationally, 
Mindy Bells is is one of the best voices out there, and she comes from a Christian perspective in nearly everything she does on on Twitter. So, highly recommend her. In her review of these uh, this agreement, this is what she said: "Quote the text of the Abraham Accord won't be public until after the event, but the signing marks a foreign policy and campaign victory for President Donald Trump and a diplomatic gift." to Middle East leaders embattled at home, including Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the Gulf sheikhs of Bahrain and the UAE. She points out the New York Times story that says the normalizing of Arab relations with Israel is a big deal. And it really is. This this is a big deal. There's no doubt about it. You know, my sense was in a moment where so much seems to be spinning out of control on a daily basis across the world, this was a development that that hopefully will lead to more momentum on the peace front in the Middle East. What say you? I think that, you know, in the lead up to this, one of the big questions was, we see all of this conversation surrounding potential Middle East peace talks, Middle East peace deals. Uh, it feels like this perennial thing in our lives. And so there's always this kind of, okay, but is it really going to happen? Is anything good really going to come out of this? And this seems, uh, like you just mentioned, I mean, it seems incredibly not only historic, but but really significant and hopefully is going to bring peace and stability to an unstable region of the world. I hesitate to say anything because I can't speak very intelligently about all of these things. But one thing for me, I'm reading these books, these spy books that take place over in the Middle East. It, it just brings the Bible to life for me, seeing the action going on in the Middle East, what's happening, realizing where all of this stems from, our father Abraham, who had many sons, as you know, uh, and how the major world religions have stemmed from him and how the Lord has preserved the Jewish people and the conflict over there. So it's just, it's really amazing to just see how the Lord continues to work in that uh, part of the world, but also to know that regardless of how chaotic it gets, regardless of all the unknowns, we know how it all ends. And uh, we know that the Lord holds true to his promises, and I'm thankful for that. It's a good word, Lindsay. Moving from the international front to the intergalactic front, the final frontier, if you will, There was a a major scientific report this week. Axios detailed it in uh, one of their uh, reports, actually. Traces of a gas in Venus's clouds could indicate some form of life may exist there, according to a study that was published in the middle of the week. Scientists have been musing about the possibility that life exists in Venus's temperate clouds for decades. If confirmed as a sign of life, the finding would open up a new era of science. Now, to be clear, what we are talking about is uh, a a microbe that potentially uh, exists uh, within the, the cloud of uh, the cloud layer of Venus. And um, maybe some of y'all may remember from science classes, Venus is covered in in clouds. Uh, it is the second planet from uh, the sun. And the scientists are saying that we need to actually send a mission uh, to Venus for further scientific inquiry. So, uh, Josh, let me, uh, let me start with you, being that you are uh, the chair of research ethics 
for the ERLC. What does this potential finding uh, mean for us? Honestly, I think it's cool. I, I think that, you know, sometimes when we talk about is there life uh, on other planets or out there in space somewhere, sometimes Christians are nervous about that because they, one of the first questions that comes to mind is if, if that is true, what does that do to our faith? What does that do to the way that we share the gospel? Like if there is like, you know, intelligent life out there. In this case, we're not talking about intelligent life. We're just saying, is there anything organic in the universe that that is not on planet Earth? Maybe. Maybe there is. Uh, the thing that I would encourage all Christians to think about is the fact that God is like not only the author of life in terms of human life, but he created everything that exists. Because go back to the opening of your Bibles and read that again, that, that before there was anything, there was God, and God is the one who spoke everything that exists into existence. So we don't need to be afraid of the development. This isn't something that we need to you know be nervous about. If, if it's out there, let's know about it. Let, let's find out what there is to find, because nothing is going to change God's sovereignty over everything that exists. All right, so Lindsay, let me let me beam you into this conversation. Beam me up, Brenty. <laughs> <laughs> I am clearly not with it uh, after vacation, but, oh man, this gives me all the feels because my husband and I have been watching that uh, show Away on Netflix. It's pretty clean. There's maybe a few storylines you'd want to fast forward or whatever, but it it's amazing about this team going to Mars and they're spending three years of their lives to plant a garden on Mars and find out if there's life. Anyway, but all it makes me want to say is... Is I, it a documentary? No, it's a drama with Hilary Swank. Yes, because we've not been to Mars. Right, exactly. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't going to make you feel dumb, Josh. I was just going to let you figure that out on your own. But it also makes me realize I have no desire to go to space. Never would I ever sign up for that. I can spend all eternity getting all the answers to all these alien questions, etc. I don't want to spend three years of my life going to Mars and maybe not making it back. Don't want to go to Venus. Who cares if it's covered with clouds? But also, this struck up a conversation between me and my husband. Why are women from Venus and men from Mars? Why isn't the other way around? I've got nothing for you there. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't read the book. But somehow he said something like, you know, men are from Mars. I was like, well, why are women from Venus? What? Why isn't it switched? Well, that, well, that could main, open up I think a whole the main other... Thrust, well, I think the main thrust is, is just to point out that we are... Uh, from two different planets sometimes in our understanding of each other. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Brent. <laughs> yeah. So we now move from extraterrestrial life to Baptist life. Which, as a Baptist, the two can sometimes feel the same. Making fun <laughs> well, of myself, everybody who's listening. There you go. Uh, all right. So uh, RNS reported this week that giving to congregations has shifted upward after churches closed their buildings earlier this year due to the coronavirus pandemic. A new State of the Plate, I, I had to get that title in, State of the Plate Research, the offering plate, finds that close to two-thirds of churches across the country reported in August that giving is either up or steady. By contrast, in April, a similar share of churches said they had seen a drop in giving. Brian Kluth, who is a former pastor and is now the national spokesperson for the National Association of Evangelicals Financial Health Initiative, said, this is encouraging news for churches across America. These new findings show that most churches and their families are figuring out ways to survive 
and even thrive in the midst of all of the challenges that the pandemic has thrown their way. The findings are based on responses from over a thousand mainline evangelical and independent Protestant churches. So uh, we've seen this with uh, giving to the cooperative program uh, that has uh, largely recovered from the the lows that we saw uh, earlier this year, and uh, I just thought this was a helpful reminder of of how thankful uh, we need to be once again for the sacrificial giving of our fellow Southern Baptists and uh, the fact that uh, even beyond our own denomination, uh, Christians are are still finding ways to tithe and to give, and I'm just so thankful for that. I definitely am too. Brent, uh, when I think about it, you know, the CP is something that for us, it's everyday language. We talk about the cooperative program and cooperative program giving because it's how uh, the entity that we work for is funded. But one of the really inco- like really incredible things about the cooperative program is that actually this is this mechanism whereby individual Christians living their lives, giving, you know, their, their tithes and offerings to their local churches are able to support six seminaries across the United States. They're able to support the work of the North American Mission Board, planting churches, helping churches do effective ministry all across North America, and the work of the most important thing that we do together, the International Mission Board, where we have missionaries across the globe taking the gospel to every nation. And so, you know, it's it's not a small thing when you talk about the fact that CP giving has recovered, because what we're really saying is that this kind force to take the gospel into the world is thankfully, recovering and thriving, even as we are coming out of this, God willing, coming out of this pandemic season. Well, and I think it's a reminder that has less to do with us and more to do with how the Lord is building His church and how His kingdom marches on. And uh, again, the cooperative program is amazing. I'm so thankful for it. I had to raise support when I was doing some work at a women's ministry that was not a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and it just made it so difficult. The Lord still provided, but it just made me very thankful for the cooperative program. But even if giving was down, we could have confidence that the Lord is going to continue His work. And I think uh, a gentleman from the IMB that we talked to on this podcast during uh, the pandemic said the same thing, that the the kingdom still marches on. The Lord is still at work, even when we feel like we're being hindered. It's a great reminder, Lindsay. All right. So 51 years ago, 1969, where were you? Uh, And what did the world look like 51 years ago? A lot has obviously changed since then, but that is the duration of time that First Baptist of Atlanta senior pastor Charles Stanley has been leading his church. And this week in a video announcement, Baptist Press reports that following online services, Pastor Charles Stanley announced his transition to Pastor Emeritus, and um, my understanding is it will uh, will take effect immediately. Stanley, who came to First Baptist in 1969, uh, informed the church's board earlier this year, or earlier this month, excuse me, of his decision. Anthony George will transition from his position of associate pastor to senior pastor, Uh, In 2017, the church had announced a succession plan for for Stanley, uh, for Anthony George, and for the pastorate at First Baptist Atlanta. This is reminding me of how thankful I am for pastors uh, who continually serve and and do so 
oftentimes without the the praise that they are due. Uh, I, I'm I'm just thankful uh, for for the pastors who are faithfully serving their congregations out there. And uh, 51 years uh, serving in ministry is is cer- certainly something uh, that is remarkable. It is remarkable, Brent and. Charles Stanley is for evangelicals for Southern Baptists. He's a household name. He has obviously, you know, been an influential figure for decades. He was, he's a former SBC president who was uh, helping to lead the Southern Baptist Convention through a really pivotal and chaotic time for uh, Southern Baptists. And his legacy is going to, uh, to live on for many years because Charles Stanley is someone who, through both leading his local church and in his service to not just the SBC, but but leading as a leading Christian in in the United States, he's somebody who has created this titanic legacy that that is going to last for a very long time. Ring, 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 ring. Lindsay, why are you rolling your eyes? That's it's, that's it's that's ding, how ding, I'm transitioning. Ding. It's ding, ding, ding. 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 Yes. No, this isn't a microwave going off. This is the Salvation Army's bell ringers. That's that's what that ring, ring, ring uh, signifies. So Religion News Service uh, reports this week that the Salvation Army is kicking off its annual Red Kettle campaign. Listeners are probably familiar with this uh, because folks are, are standing outside of local stores in the uh, holiday season to get financial gifts <laughs> and contributions to help the needy. But this year, Salvation Army, they announced that they are kicking it off two months early in the hopes of meeting an increased need for assistance during the coronavirus pandemic. So it traditionally starts around Thanksgiving and runs through Christmas time. But in 2020, uh, they're starting earlier and ringers will be trained about social distancing and will be provided with masks. Donors will also be encouraged to consider making contributions online uh, through the Salvation Army website or to scan a QR code. I, I didn't realize that was still a thing, but uh, apparently it is. Uh, but we are we are hopeful uh, that the Salvation Army is successful in their efforts. I was glad to see that last part because I, uh, I mean, this says a lot about because my own heart. Because you use a QR I, code? No, but I never feel guiltier than when I'm walking past a Salvation Army ringer and the red pin and uh nobody carries cash and you know there's a people especially now with coronavirus aren't carrying cash because a lot of times you can't use it there's a coin shortage and so it seems like there would need to be a digital way it would be more successful if there was a digital way to be able to do this so i might not be scanning a qr code but i could use my phone that's for sure there you go All right. So uh, on the coronavirus front, speaking of that development, so uh, this last week, the U.S. saw an average of about 37,000 new cases per day over the past week, which is down from the highs, the incredible highs that we were seeing uh, in the mid-summer time range. The daily rate of new cases did increase, though, in 17 states while declining in 13 others. According to Axios, there is no clear geographic trend at work since the the summertime surge in the sunbelt states have subsided new outbreaks have been driven largely by one-off localized events like college campuses uh, reopening and the parties that have ensued uh, with college students getting back together on the vaccine front uh, this kind of made the rounds on social media 
Adar Punawala, CEO of the world's largest vaccine manufacturer, says that not enough COVID-19 vaccines will be available to inoculate the global population until at least the end of 2024. According to Punawala, pharmaceutical companies are not increasing production capacity quickly enough to vaccinate everyone faster. So that is a bit of sobering news uh, for those of us hoping for quick access to a vaccine to combat the pandemic. I think the big question that that leaves me with is, do we need every person to have access to the vaccine to feel like the vaccine has made, you know, life safe to live normally again? Or do we just need a number of vaccines in the, you know, in the population in order to have a livable environment? Yeah. Well, and to be clear, he's talking about the global population. Uh, so, I mean, obviously that's, that's more than just one country or one segment of uh, society getting these vaccines. Honestly, I don't know. I feel like there was kind of research going back and forth over the summer about how do you get to herd immunity? What proportion of the, or what portion of the population needs to get it? I mean, I, I, I just really don't know. I think if anything, this just reinforces that COVID-19 is, is going to be with us for a while. It, it's not going to magically disappear on, on any one day. Uh, it's just going to be something that uh, we are wrestling with uh, for, uh, for, well, a season to come, for sure. Elsewhere on the domestic front, Hurricane Sally uh, landed ashore the Gulf Coast. Uh, she unleashed up to 30 inches of rain from the Florida Panhandle to Mobile Bay, Alabama, leading to, quote, historic and catastrophic flooding there and threatening even more communities as it moves north, the National Hurricane Center said. In Escambia County, Florida, which includes Pensacola, at least 377 people have been rescued from flooded neighborhoods. Man, this has been a a record hurricane season already uh, for the the Gulf Coast and uh you know, we're in September, which is traditionally the high point of uh, hurricane season. So hopefully uh, we will be able to, to miss any more direct hits. In Louisville, Kentucky, on the racial unity front, calling Breonna Taylor a, quote, light to help heal what's happening in America, attorneys and Louisville city officials on Tuesday unveiled a $12 million settlement for her family that includes a host of police reforms. The payout announced six months after Taylor, 26, uh, who was fatally shot in her apartment on March 13th, is the largest ever on behalf of Louisville police. The settlement also makes a series of changes to Louisville Metro Police policy and practices designed to strengthen officers' connections to the community, reform the search warrant process, and make officers more accountable and their actions more transparent. Uh, so it, it sounds like they've kind of reached consensus there in, in that city. And uh, hopefully uh, this, this might be a model that uh, other municipalities can adopt uh, before anyone else is put in harm's way. I definitely hope that this settlement is able to bring some kind of help and closure to this family. Obviously, their suffering is going to continue for a very long time. And it is hopefully, though, the kind of thing that can give some positive sign toward the kind of changes that might be put in place uh, so that we can we can we can be in a place as a country that we are no longer 
week by week or month by month discussing instances of violent encounters between uh, African-Americans and police where we're all left going, how could this happen? All right. On the lighter side, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, as fans have come to know it, has been formally canceled for 2020 due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Instead of a live event, uh, New York City's mayor said the team behind the parade is working on something unique. I hope it is not a virtual parade <laughs> because that doesn't that's that's no longer unique and I'm not sure that that's going to have the same kickoff to to Christmas that the Thanksgiving Day parade uh, traditionally is. I'm so sad about this because the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade it's not that I pay a lot of attention to it but it is just what kicks off the move into the Christmas season and I always have it on in the background. And this year, having my daughter, who's 18 months right now, she would have loved to look at the balloons and hear the music and all that. So I thought for sure they were going to keep it going just without a crowd because they're outside. But I mean, they've got to do what they've got to do to to feel uh, like they're keeping people safe. So we'll see. Virtual parade, Zoom parade. I hope not. Perish the thought. It's a thing I look forward to watching on television every year with my family, and who knows what kind of unique thing they may be able to put in its place, but certainly we're all ready for Macy's, for the parade. We're all ready for the Olympics. We're, we're ready for these things. Fortunately, you know, we've been watching some football, so at least there's that. That's right. And, uh, well, two things there. So, A, Big Ten football, they announced this week that they are coming back October 23rd, 24th. That will be the the weekend that they are returning uh, so uh, for our audience members who live in the Midwest, you will no longer be the black hole of football. Well, I mean, that is the Big Ten area, actually. But uh, at least you'll, you know, you'll actually have some uh, some players on the field. But Lindsay, to your point about it kicking off the, uh, the Christmas season, I, I was going to say, look, there's a recipe for not having that level of disappointment, which is just starting your Christmas season when the fireworks end. Uh, on Independence Day, which is what we do here at the Leatherwood household. No, Christmas, it does not feel like Christmas when it's 90 bajillion degrees outside and you're sweating. <laughs> well, ho, 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 Lindsay and Josh, that's your look at This Week in Culture. If you're like most pastors or church leaders, you're probably facing difficult questions this fall. Questions like, How can I advocate for important issues without hindering my gospel witness? And what responsibilities do we have to engage in this current moment? Today, I'm excited to tell you about the Courage and Civility Church Toolkit, a brand new free resource from the ERLC that answers those questions and more. This toolkit doesn't tell people how to vote, but it does tell them how Christians should think through issues of our day as they see the chaotic culture around us. It gives pastors and church leaders a helpful path to teach their congregations about the things that truly matter and show them how to process this polarized moment. You can find a link to this toolkit in our show notes. So now we're about to talk to Scott Foshi. Scott is actually a trustee of the ERLC, and for his full-time job, he works with the Baptist State Convention in Illinois as a church revitalization catalyst, and we're excited to talk to Scott today. So Scott, would you tell folks just a little bit about yourself and where you're serving in ministry right now? And while you're talking about that, would you also tell us one thing that God is teaching you in this season of life and ministry? 
Sure, Josh and and listeners, thank you for listening. And and guys, thank you for having me on. It's a great honor. Uh, I am originally from Eastern Tennessee. I actually grew up in Greenville, Tennessee, just northeast of Gatlinburg there near the North Carolina border and was called into ministry at age 19, came to know the Lord at nine, uh, served in the local church in various roles. Uh, Music was kind of the common denominator for 15 years in Tennessee uh, and served in different aspects of church revitalization, music, Sunday school, youth ministry, children's ministry, however I could serve. And then the Lord called me to serve as a lead pastor in Illinois for five years, a church that's now 181 years old in Southern Illinois, had a wonderful time there. And then uh, last fall, the Lord called me to serve as Illinois' first revitalization director at the state level uh, as we just seek revival and revitalization. That's really what we want to see happen in our churches and across our culture, isn't it? That the church would make a new, greater impact as he sends revival. So that's where we are. Um, And I think one thing God's teaching us in this season is his sovereignty. He is completely sovereign and he is faithful. And I'm thankful that despite our imperfections, he uses us to accomplish his purposes. I definitely think this year in 2020 is teaching us we have to depend on him and his timing, don't we? Absolutely. That is definitely a major lesson of 2020. And we're thankful for that reminder from you. We're thankful for the ways that you serve. And uh, this podcast focuses specifically on Christians and culture. So can you tell us there what things and culture you and the folks around you there in Illinois are paying attention to right now? Well, it's been a lot of fun serving in Illinois just because from north to south in Illinois, there's such a tremendous uh, variety in our cultures. You know, from Chicago and the far northeast down to the metro east area of St. Louis, if you go up to the north in Rockford there near the Iowa border and then down to Metropolis in the far south, we have so many different cultural influences. And then in Chicago, you've got the nations coming there. So amazing opportunities. And I would say that the things in culture we're learning is that God is working across cultural lines. He's calling us to be Great Commission Baptists. I love the emphasis that we're going to have in 2021 that was announced uh, this week that we are Great Commission Baptists. And we need to be willing to go outside of our comfort zone to reach people who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who maybe don't have the same background. That's the beauty of the church. And being a gospel-centered church is being willing to cross those cultural boundaries. And I know there's a lot of cultural division and divisiveness and vitriol in our culture today, but as God's people, we're called to be people that bring people to the cross. And once we are born again and introduced to to know Jesus, you know, Jesus and the church is really the unbabble. At the Tower of Babel, we saw the nation scattered the languages, but it brings us together. And I think as followers of Jesus, we need to remember that, and that's how we can kind of be a lighthouse in our culture today, bringing people together and and reminding ourselves that the diversity is God's idea. Uh, and, and so we need to be agents of, of, of cultural diversity, but also understanding one another's differences as we grow in Christ together. Scott, your answer is... Uh is probably a perfect indication of uh, why you were given the title of Church Revitalization Director for the Illinois Baptist Convention. So let's let's uh, kind of situate there for a moment. It, that sounds like a job that is uh, both challenging, uh, but but probably also very rewarding. So can you tell our audience uh, what what does that job encompass? What do you do in serving uh, for the Illinois Baptist Convention, and and how does your work uh, complement the work of our local churches? Well, Brent, it's it's been a great adventure. And when uh, our executive director in Illinois asked me to meet with him and and pray with him in the leadership of IBSA last uh, last late last summer, early in the fall, 
um, he presented the idea to me, and it was something the Lord led them to have. In the, in the past, we've done revitalization-related things through programs. Many times, the state convention would provide experts in Sunday school, youth ministry, children's ministry, and those things, which is great. But it was on their hearts that as we looked at our statistics, we were meeting all of our training goals. And many of our state conventions and across the Southern Baptist Convention, we've met goals that we've set for training, for encouraging people. But yet, the trajectory of the churches continues to decline. And based on our early research, Brent, we see that eight out of 10 Southern Baptist churches and eight out of 10 Illinois Baptist churches are declining or dying. Uh, and, and the Lord wants to move. He wants to use us. And God is sovereign, and he's inviting us to join him in his work. And so this new revitalization team really comes along. We want to come alongside pastors and leaders. We want to help them to see themselves the way that God sees them, to see their strengths, to see their growth areas, to encourage them and to be a strong arm to them. So one of the things we do is we assess pastors, and uh, then we also coach them. So we have holistic coaching for pastors across the areas they lead in. And then also we help churches to understand their own church culture. Many many churches don't uh, uh, have success with revitalization because they are in denial about their own internal church culture, and God wants to work with that. And so we want to help pastors to love the church right where it is, but also get a vision of where God wants to take that church over the next five to seven years. So so at the state level, I really love what Mark Clifton and the North American Mission Board have, have encouraged pastors to do, to preach God's word, to pray fervently for God to move, to love the people where they are and take them where God wants them to be, but then also to stay five years or longer. So this revitalization ministry, is a it's a new ministry for IBSA, but I think you're going to see it more and more across our convention, pouring into churches, pouring into leaders over a long period of time, looking at that whole picture. And then what we learn in revitalization helps our leadership development team at our state convention and helps our mobilization team. It helps all of us because we're researching what the pastors need, what the churches need. We're looking at the culture of the state, but we're also looking at the culture in our churches and really trying over a long period of time to just follow the Lord, join him in his work to see him move in a great and mighty way. I I hope that captures a little bit of what it is, but it's going to be an ongoing adventure, Brent, for sure. (laughs) You know, it is such important work, and it's interesting you say that about um, helping pastors, equipping them, supporting them to stay five years or longer. We had an article on our site about that, not just pastors, but church members staying at their church past, I think it was a three-year mark, because that's just when you start to get into the good work, you know? And you, you, yes, that's right. you build those relationships and and uh, and that relational capital, and then that's when you really start to see some transformation. So, so we are so thankful for your work there. This week, we held our annual um, ERLC trustee meeting, and as a board member, you have the opportunity to get briefed on all the work of the ERLC. So, what stood out to you over the last twelve months in particular? Well, uh, you know, being briefed as a trustee is wonderful, and and I want to thank your team for the great job you do of informing the trustees about what you do, Uh, but also uh, serving in our state convention. One of the things that we did this year was we had to pivot in March. All of us did, didn't we? I mean, I'm sure your team, you've done a tremendous job pivoting, and the ERLC has just been such a wonderful resource of encouragement, of information. Uh, I'll give a few examples. We did webinars, uh, and we actually had Daniel Patterson on one of our webinars who did a tremendous job talking to us about the CARES Act and also about the religious liberty issues that we've been facing this year. So the ERLC and Alliance Defending Freedom Partnership, 
that we enjoy in Illinois. It's benefited all of the thousand churches we have in our state convention. And so I want to really thank you for that. I'm thankful for Dr. Moore giving ethical clarification about the CARES Act and helping churches understand how to navigate that, whether or not they should do that. And, and we're like you. We inform the churches, but the churches then make that decision. But the ERLC has been a tremendous source of encouragement. So, uh, And then we think about the different uh, cases that have been decided in the Supreme Court, and we have Supreme Court justices that are citing amicus briefs filed by the ERLC. I'm proud of that, and I'm thankful for our ERLC team. And then speaking out on the human rights abuses in China. And one thing that I love about the ERLC, too, is issue by issue, you're in, you are praising our government leaders when they, they use biblical principles and demonstrate those, but then also you have that prophetic voice when it's needed, too, just like in the time Daniel lived in. We're doing that. So, you know, the, the trustee meeting was very encouraging to me about all of the ministries your team provides, and I just want to commend you for those efforts. And thank you for that, Scott, and thank you for your service uh, as a member of our, our trustee board. I think that's the thing. A lot of folks, they don't see how uh, individuals like you are, are serving in these kind of capacities uh, behind the scenes in many ways. When they just think of Baptist life, they immediately, and rightfully so, think of their pastor, and uh, they, they forget about some of the other nuts and bolts stuff that's going on behind the scenes that folks like you uh, are helping to drive forward. So I'm really thankful for you, sir. All right, so uh, this this last question is kind of, you know, just for fun. So obviously ministry takes up a lot of your time as you serve in these various capacities. What kinds of things do you and your family enjoy doing when you're not busy doing the work of ministry? <laughs> well, as you know, Brent, and I'm sure you experience this too, there's that natural tension between your ministry and your family. And we have to remember our family is our first ministry. Uh, but we, we have a, we're blessed at our, in our new home in Springfield. Uh, we have a, we have a nice creek behind the, uh, at the back of our property that connects to the Lake Springfield. If you've ever been to Springfield, Illinois, we have a nice lake as you come into town. And we have discovered that the fish love to run into that creek, all different kinds of fish. So the Foshis are, we, we are fishermen. We enjoy just enjoying that creek and catching those, those fish. And my uh, now nine-year-old daughter, Liz, insisted on having, instead of the fishing pole I had, she wanted to make a, a fishing pole out of a stick that I just tied the line to. And I argued with her over it for an hour that it wouldn't work. Well, guess what? The first time she put it down in the water, she caught a nice largemouth bass. So we have a lot of fun doing that. Uh, we just went to uh, to the beach, socially distanced vacation uh, down on the South Carolina coast with my family from East Tennessee, and that was wonderful. So we we enjoy those kind of things. And when uh, I'm a big uh, St. Louis Cardinals fan, I hope none of you hold that against me, but uh, we love to watch baseball, and we're watching it on TV now. Looking forward to going to those games again soon. Man, an East Tennessean that's a St. Louis Cardinals fan. That's that's the most Cardinals shocking fan, revelation yeah. from this. But now I will say that my blood does bleed orange during football season. So I still have all of the UT Vol stuff. Go big orange. All right. Got that, it. Lindsay, Got that it. just warms your heart, doesn't it? That just warms your heart. Go Gators. It's my response. Oh, <laughs> Lindsay. Oh, okay. Well, we won't hold it against you, Lindsay. <laughs> we, we try to Thank hold you. it against her as often as we can. <laughs> um, Scott, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. It was cool. I was gl glad to hear you mentioned fishing. We actually talked about fishing a couple times on the podcast already. Some of my best memories from being a kid are literally fishing with a cane pole. So very cool catching a large I'm mouth bass you. off a— Liz brought it back, you know, man. A simple she's, setup she's like that. She's got it. 
That's right. That's right. And and guys, again, let me just thank you for your hard work. Thank you for how you serve Southern Baptist, Illinois Baptist, Great Commission Baptist all over our nation. And your resources are being used around the world. We're thankful for your ministry. Man, Scott, we really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for all you do to serve. And thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. So now it's time for The Lunchroom, where every week we talk to you about the things we've been sharing with one another. Brent, you're up first this week, so tell us what's on your mind. All right, well, so Lindsay actually stole what I was bringing to The Lunchroom, which was uh, the Netflix series Away. Uh, it's an enjoyable series about uh, all the various things that could potentially go wrong with a, a mission, uh, a manned mission to, to Mars. Uh, there's a couple caveats, as, as Lindsay said, not everything is... Uh, uh, redeemed quality, but I do think it's pretty enjoyable. The dramatic stuff is pretty high, and that's uh, that's what uh, really I thought was interesting. But let me t- leave you with this: Chick Fil A is testing out a new pimento cheese chicken Ooh. sandwich. Bring and it that, on! I am here for that. Unfortunately, really? yeah, I am. Unfortunately, I feel like it's probably going to go the way of the tests that they had with sweet potato fries. Oh, they just yeah. they couldn't get the they couldn't get the uh, the texture right 100% of the time, so they decided not to do it. That's probably going to be what happens with pimento cheese. Listen, I miss their chicken salad, like not their green salad with chicken, but their actual chicken salad, which my friend called geriatric chicken salad, but I loved it. The original sandwich that came in the foil thing. But I need to say something about Away, Brent, real quick. So it brings up good family discussions but also it did lead my husband to ask me if we had gone on a date and I found out that his mission was to go to Mars, would I have married him? And I I said no, because I wasn't interested in marrying someone going to space. <laughs> but he said he would have married me if I wanted to go to Mars. So I wasn't interested in him leaving for three years. Which is amazing because you're from Venus. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'm from Venus. I don't know why I'm from Venus, but apparently I am. So, uh, yeah, I didn't know what I was going to talk about either. Away is what we've been watching. But I like to listen and watch crime podcasts and watch crime shows. I'm not sure what that says about me. There's only certain ones I will watch and listen to. So I really enjoy the Crime Junkie podcast. I'm not sure if you ever heard of it, but uh, I find it enjoyable. Maybe I should have been a detective or something. At least on, on TV, it looks really cool. But I also subscribed just for the month to BritBox, and that's where you can watch the British shows because there's some – it takes me a while to get into British shows, but there's a show called Shetland, which is a crime show. And so, of course, there's caveats in there, things you might want to skip or whatever. Check it out first um, before watching it. But I have just found it to be really interesting, and it makes me want to go over to Europe so badly. So – Hopefully, I'll be able to to get rid of that travel bug once uh, this whole coronavirus thing gets better. You know, that's awesome. I'm still waiting to make my first trip over to Europe. I've never been, always wanted to go, especially want to spend time in England, but all throughout Western Europe. I think I'd, I'd just really, really enjoy uh, spending several weeks there to see all kinds of things. Oh, you'd be addicted. Uh, not to the cost, because it's expensive, but to the coffee, right. to the people, the environment. Oh, it's just so much fun. I love it. Okay, so for my lunchroom this week, I'm going to 
talk about something just interesting that happened in our ERLC internal conversation. And this literally is a lunchroom conversation we were talking about. One of our colleagues was talking about the fact that he, several years ago, uh, had tickets to go to the Rose Bowl. And he was there with his now wife. I'm not sure if they were married at the time. And they went to the Rose Bowl. They were there to see uh, their team play. And standing outside of the stadium, they were hoping to you know find someone to purchase tickets from and didn't find anything. But while they were there, because tickets were just sold out and you couldn't find them anywhere, a person walked up to them and a friend of theirs who did have a ticket to get into the game and offered to put $2,000 in his hand in exchange for that one ticket. Well, his friend did not take the $2,000 and went in to, you know, watch the game, which apparently is pretty epic. But the thing that left for me was what would it take? Like, what's that tipping point for you where, hey, is it apparently it wasn't worth it to his friend to get $2,000 not to watch the game, but would $5,000 do it? Would $10,000 be came this big conversation internally about when, you know, what, what that would be for you. And so for me, like $2,000 not to watch a football game would be pretty easy. I can understand for some other people, it would be much more difficult. And uh, anyway, it's been a, it's been a fun conversation. The other thing that I wanted to point out is uh, I told Brent and Lindsay at the top of the show, or maybe before we started recording today, that my whole world right now is is Baptist and political philosophy as I'm trying to finish up at my THM thesis at Southeastern. So this week, I've been spending a lot of time with one book in particular, which I would recommend to anybody who's interested in American history, religious liberty, Baptist history. Uh, it's called Roger Williams and the Creation of the, Amer- the American Soul, Church, State, and the Birth of Liberty, and it's by John M. Barry. It does a really good job of telling not only the story of Roger Williams, but telling the story of how we came to value religious freedom in American democracy. And so it's it's a pretty epic book. It is really, really fantastic. You can normally find it heavily discounted. And so if you're looking for some reading, this is a great book, and I would definitely recommend it. Josh, uh, it sounds riveting. And by riveting, I mean riveting for a nerd like you, but I'm glad that we have Lindsay, people you'll, like you. You'll appreciate that it. You'll appreciate that it has a cool cover. So you know, okay, if nothing well, else, you can have like a, an attractive that, yeah. looking book on your shelf. <laughs> I'm reading spy novels, and you're actually reading things that's enlarging your brain. So that's good. Hey, you know, sometimes a good spy novel is what you need, especially for a week where you had a disappointing beach trip. Maybe you can just that's enjoy true. it all the more. That's true. Yep, that's very true. Well, we're going to leave it there, but we want to say thanks so much uh, for listening to the show this week and every week. And just as a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. If you'd like the podcast, please help us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or review. But for Brent and Lindsay and myself, we want to say thanks so much for listening and we'll be back next week with more content. Mm-hmm.